Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing So James 4, 13. Listen, I'm reading this out of the Passion Translation. Listen, those of you who are boasting, tomorrow or today we will go to another city and spend some time and go into business and make heaps of profit, uh, verse 14. But you don't have a clue what tomorrow may bring, for your fleeting life is but a Vapor, or as it says here, a warm breath of air that is visible in the cold only for a moment and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you should say, our tomorrows are in the Lord's hands, and if he is willing, we will live life to its fullest and do this or that. But here you are, boasting in your arrogance arrogance, uh, for... For to be presumptuous about what you'll do tomorrow is, James says it, it's evil. And then verse 17. So if you have an opportunity, if you know of an opportunity to do what is right today, to do the right thing today, and yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. So here it is. Again, James just bringing the hammer down a little bit and like, oh, James, okay, you're talking to your friends here, right? I mean, these are all, got, these are all uh, families that have been displaced because of persecution for their faith. So it's not like they're, uh, they're not devout. It's not like they're heathens. It's not like, you know, he's bringing the hammer down um, on random strangers. He knows these people. They grew up together. And so I'm like, okay, Lord, in my worldview of having been raised in a fundamentalist Christian environment, the filter that I read that with hits me sideways. What do you say about this, Holy Spirit? Because every time I meet with you, Jesus, you're the kindest person I've ever met. You don't hit me sideways. You love me sideways <laughs> in the sense of like, he loves me enough that he'll challenge me and he'll move me, and, but he's not going to hit me sideways. Uh, blindsided and in that sense of like, what are you saying here? This challenge is directed, let's look at the very first line. This challenge is directed towards those who are boasting. And this type of boasting, I mean, there's different types of boasting referred to in the scripture. Um, There's actually a type of boasting in the scripture that speaks of a high confidence, like boasting in the goodness of God like boasting in the ways of God. This proper form of boasting speaks of your head being lifted high or held high. It's a confidence. I don't think that's what 
James is referring to here, what James is challenging is a type of boasting that is motivated out of a high level of self-interest. That's what James is pointing his finger at. So if you think about it, and we talked about this about a month ago, if you think about a displaced people that were facing persecution from the likes of a person like Saul, who was um, a religious leader who Jesus had confronted. You remember last time I spoke and Jesus was like in his discernment was speaking truth to him. He's like, look, you're, you're like whitewashed tombs. On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones, right? And so he's speaking that discernment, but he's not judging them in a way where he's saying, and you're out. He's not saying that because the very people that Jesus was confronting in that, one of which was Saul, was forming up death squads to go out and persecute and kill Christians, Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. Jesus did not judge him out. He said, I welcome you in, you who are like hell-bent on killing Christians, my people, on you know, killing my body. And Saul had this dramatic, life-transforming conversion experience. And then over the course of time, God raised him up and equipped him as a leader and a pillar of the church. So all that to say, what am I saying in that? Um, What I'm saying in that is that James is challenging this sort of boasting that's motivated out of a high level of self-interest. The implication uh, in this passage is that they have, you know, he's talking about people who have a plan to, to gain great profit. So if you think about this displaced people group who are now all over the, the globe eventually, but probably um, not too far from Jerusalem. But anyway, that being said, they're in different cultures. You remember like a month ago, I talked about the Stockholm Syndrome. And I talked about how um, if we're not careful, we will absorb into a culture and into a way um, just to kind of make life work. In fact, we'll have an affinity for that culture. We'll develop an affinity for the culture that may actually be, um, you know, restricting and oppressing and whatever that Stockholm Syndrome is. We run the risk, if we're not careful, of allowing the culture of the world to influence us as opposed to us influencing the culture of the world, basically. And James is seeing it. He's hearing about it. Yeah, these people got displaced, and now they're assimilating into a way that, if they're not careful, could lead them into a higher level of self-reliance. Okay? I think that's what he's pointing to. And James goes so far as to say that this type of self-assured boasting is evil, rooted in arrogance and presumptuous. Um, So I suppose this lines up with um, what James wrote back in James 3.16 when he says, selfish, where, wherever selfish ambition exists, there is disorder in every evil thing. Okay? So he's really putting his finger on the selfish motives, the selfish ambitions, the self-interest, that boasting in self. That's what he's putting his finger on. And uh, we can certainly, yeah, 
see this thread woven throughout the entire book of James where arrogance plays into the hand of the evil one while humility paves the way for the grace of God to flow into our lives. So there is that contrast, right? Um, In all of this, I actually don't hear James telling us not to imagine our future. I don't hear James saying, stop dreaming. I don't hear James saying, um, don't plan. In verse 15 here, instead of establishing your future plans around your self-assured ambitions, he goes on to say this, you should say, for tomorrow are in the Lord's hands, and if he is willing, we will live life to its fullest, and we will do this and that. So this and that are plans. This and that are dreams. This and that are imaginations for the future, and it's open-handed, and it's tied to a desire and a longing to live life to the fullest. So James is not saying shut it down. He's saying bring it in uh, a, a different perspective, a different way. This is what I'm hearing from the Lord. Like As I'm like pressing into this, I'm like, what are you actually saying here? Because I don't want to get hit sideways by this and feel like I have to shut down my dreamscapes or my plans. So he's not saying that at all. He's, he's really saying, you can imagine living life to the fullest. Awesome. Let's do that. But let's do it in a way that is not rooted in a selfish ambition and self-interest only, okay? So how can we imagine our future life without being presumptuous? That's probably the, the big question here. Because being presumptuous about your life is to live self-reliant, motivated primarily out of self-interest. And so here's a quote that I want you to put into your quiver. Ego is not your amigo. (laughs) Ego is not your amigo. Kind of speaks for itself. I like it. Um, It works in a lot of different scenarios, right? I learned it in the context of mountaineering. I learned it in the context of backcountry uh, splitboarding and snowboarding where you can find yourself in a group of people where groupthink starts to take over. And you got the guy who looks like he's got it all together. He digs the snow pit, you know, he pats it down, and he's like all of a sudden the expert. And his ego starts to drive the groupthink to the point or to the brink of disaster if we're not careful. And so there's no room for ego in those types of situations when you have a lot to live for and you want to come home at the end of the day. Ego is not your amigo out there for sure. Ego is not your amigo anywhere. And so the dreamscapes, what do you imagine your life might look like next year, this upcoming month, this week, tomorrow? It's okay to start dreaming in those ways as we move towards the end of this year and we start thinking about 2023. That's common for all of us to start imagining what do we want for our next year. It's okay to do that as long as we're doing that with an open hand. And we can hear James really kind of echoing the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew 6. Remember, they're brothers. James knows what Jesus said and 
He pulls from that because he's a follower of Jesus. He's a disciple of Jesus now, and he's taking the, the teachings of Jesus and filling them out and sending them in this letter. But if we listen to this, um, we might struggle to find that sweet spot of being intentional about living our lives to the fullest, but not being presumptuous. There is a sweet spot, okay? So listen to Jesus teach about our tomorrows in Matthew 6. I'll start in verse 25. And this is a very familiar passage. It's from the Sermon on the Mount, but I think it's worthy of repeating. I tell you this, don't worry about everyday life, whether you will have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to them Excuse me, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? So this starts to take the message of Jesus and it starts to turn that idea that your life is a vapor as though it is meaningless or as though it is devalued in some way. And it starts to actually turn this tone of your life being a vapor into something where you can hear God say, you are more valuable to him than all of the things that he created on this planet. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Verse 31. So don't worry about these things saying, what will I eat and what will I drink and what will I wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness above all else, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. The sweet spot is to seek first the ways of God and what he considers right and good and allow yourself to be informed by trust. In God. Trusting that he is the one who came to give you life and life to the fullest, right? Trust the fact that he's the one who knit you together in your mother's womb with the design in mind, with values, with gifts and temperament, and also the capacity to dream with God. All of these things form together to help you be a partner in this process of discovering what God has for you. For it's God who encourages us. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you future and hope. And then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. 
So the sweet spot is in trusting the goodness of God and then responding to his leading as you move through what day? This day. This day. Today. Seek first the kingdom and his right ways today. James 4.17. This is the part that was like, whoa, this is kind of hitting me sideways because I could imagine that I have lots of opportunities to do the right thing and sometimes I don't see it or I don't know how to do it or I, you know, it's like, so if you have an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from doing it, you're guilty of sin. That word sin there, of course, it, it sparks something in us, like um, we get confronted by that word. But you have to understand that this is an archery term, you know, bow and arrow, archery, shooting the arrow towards the target. And the word sin here is the same word that's used if you miss the bullseye. And so what he's basically saying here is if you have an opportunity to do what is right today and you refrain from doing it, you've missed the bullseye. You've missed the opportunity. You've missed God's best for you. If God wants you to start living your life to the fullest, if he wants you to live your best life now, the way to do that is to hit the bullseye of his desires for you, of his ways for you. And when we miss the mark, we call that sin. You could also say you've stepped off the sweet spot. But I would say that you're missing out on living the best version of yourself. When you see an opportunity to do the right thing today and you refrain from doing it. We often think of sin the opposite way, like it's some behavior that we do that God doesn't like. And so this is what I guess we could refer to as the sin of omission in some ways. You know, like we see an opportunity to do something and we don't do it. Maybe that opportunity was put right in front of you so that when you stepped into it, you could live out the best version of yourself, and you could experience a fullness of life that Christ came to give you. And I think that's true. Well, so if we read James 4.14, at a cursory glance, then your best life is fleeting, right? What is the best version of yourself? Well, according to James here, it's a, it's a vapor. Don't get sad. It's a warm breath of air. Of course, this type of abrupt language might be necessary for those whose ego are their amigos. You know what I mean? Who are boastful, who are pr proud of themselves, who are self-reliant, who trust in self and are motivated out of selfish ambition. Yeah, that kind of language might be what's needed in this situation. And there's nothing quite like a reality check to remind us of how fragile life really is. I mean, that will certainly bring a dose of humility, right? But I think, you know, as, even as we were talking about last Sunday when we were praying for the Vong family, I mean, that brings the realities of how fleeting our life can be, that we do not have a guarantee for tomorrow. I just think that that's pretty profound for us, and that's why it would say in, like, the book of Ecclesiastes that it's better to go to a funeral than to a party, 
Because at a funeral, you're reminded of some things that puts life back into perspective so that you can live your life more fully. You know, the following day, I received word of a local man who witnessed his wife pass away from a traumatic fall. This was this week. And so, you know, I'm getting it like one and two and like, oh, this is coming in waves here. I just think that if we lift our vision out of the temporal, we realize that there's so much more to the story, isn't there, than our lives being just a number of days and that we are encouraged to live out our life. And so in comparison to all eternity, of course, this is what some of you were bringing up, our lifespans are really very short and we have no guarantees for tomorrow or next year or the next decade. None of that, you know. It, it, we have no guarantees that tomorrow is going to make us happy. But I will tell you this. I'm careful not to allow this passage to bring diminishment to you or I. What is a breath? God formed man out of the dust of the ground and held the face of man in the palms of his hand, and he breathed into him. And man became a living soul. If our lives are but a breath, it's the breath given to us by God. If our lives are a vapor, then it's the same vapor that filled the temple when the glory of God came. That painting right there is called Shekinah. You guys remember that word, Shekinah? It's about the glory of God coming and filling the temple. And it was like this cloud. It's the same cloud that was on top of the mountain, you know, when Moses was there. It's like, that's vapor. What if instead of looking at it through the lens of diminishment, my life is just a vapor? It's meaningless. No. What if it was like, no, actually, your life is given to you and sustained by the breath of God. The vapor of your life is what we prayed earlier. It's the glory of God that had been deposited into you. It can be like that vapor. It may be short in comparison to eternity, but it is not meaningless. I just want you to feel the weight of that, okay? What is your body? Your body is the temple of God. Your body is the temple that his very spirit, the Barak breath of God, resides. There's a glory in that, and I just want to point us to it. So if your life is a vapor, it's the glory of God on display through the opportunities that he has predestined for you to participate in that bring good. So it starts to tie together. Hmm. Now I want you to imagine this because we had the, the privilege of watching the fall season roll in while we would look outside of our window at this beautiful lake. And the warm water mixed with the cold air that had descended on that lake would create this vapor. And where would that vapor go? wherever the breeze took it. Listen to Jesus in John 3, 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you can hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going, 
so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. What if your life was a vapor? And what if that vapor was created by the breath of God? And what if that vapor was the glory of God lived out in your life, like in the day in and day out, opportunities to do what is right and good? And what if that was motivated not out of selfish ambition, but out of the will of the Spirit? This is what we call being, what, uh, what do we call this in our culture? Being spirit-filled? We call this, you know, it's like the same contrast of like, hey, instead of living through your ego, like with the flesh motivating your thoughts, let the spirit motivate you. Connect with the reality that you are a spiritual person who has this union with Christ and that his spirit takes you wherever his spirit wants to take you. So that open-handed idea about my dreams for the future, guess what? Your life is open as well to the will of the spirit. You're spirit-led. That's what we call it, right? You're spirit-led. It doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean you don't dream. It doesn't mean you're willy-nilly. It actually means you're responsive to the will of the Father by his Holy Spirit. And you have opportunity, just like I do, to do what's good. Now, here's the deal. We don't always know how to follow the Spirit. We don't always know if we're hearing right. We don't always know if the nudge is taking us in the right direction. Sometimes we second guess. Can I just ask anyone, did you read the paper this week, the Ute Pass Courier? And on the front of the paper, on the front page of the paper, there, I saw my name <laughs> on the paper. And I'm like, it's official. <laughs> I resigned from the Woodland Park School Board. You have to know that everything I'm talking about right now was about a five or six week journey of really wanting to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And it was not easy. And even as of a day or two ago, I was still second guessing it. Only to be reassured anytime that I would position myself to receive from Jesus what his thoughts were about it. The timing was right. It needed to happen for me personally. And I feel like through the help of friends who gave me some good coaching, I feel like I ended it well. I can just assure you, listen, that was not an easy decision because it was like, um, it, the conversation actually started about a year ago with God. And the conversation went something like, um, <clears throat> are you releasing me from this? <laughs> and my sense was, from the Lord, you can do whatever you want. Oh, thanks. That's not really a bunch of help. Like, I actually want you to tell me, go right or go left. I don't want you to tell me that I have like a say in this. I mean, seriously, with a big decision like that, don't you just want the billboard to light up? 
But here it is, it's more of a nuanced sense. And then, of course, there was a part of me, okay, that part of me that was like, yeah, I want out, because I kind of see where it's going, and it's hard, and it's a lot of meetings, and yada, yada. And then there was this other aspect of who I am that was like, actually, I want to stay, because I want, like, I really enjoy certain aspects of this. The silver lining was the relationships that formed up over this last year. I wanted that. And so um, as I stayed on with this process, then moving into September of this year, if you guys will remember, um, I kind of stacked up all of my little adventures into like the month of September. And I went, Tiffany and I went to California. I went mountain climbing. I did this, that, and the other thing. And it was that space away that gave me some perspective. And the perspective was... um, Again, Jesus saying, you don't have to do this. You can if you want. And I started to question the motives of why I would stay. I mean, we do that, right? It's important to. What would keep me there? And I discovered that for me to step away from my functioning role as a board member of the Woodland Park School District for me to step away was actually a growth experience for me to differentiate myself from the perceived needs that, um, that others had, desires for me to stay. And there were two things that happened that really brought clarity to me, and they are born out of the scripture. So if you're asking yourself the big question of like, how do I walk in step with the spirit? How am I led by the spirit? I can promise you this, that when you meet Jesus, he will always bring you around to something in his word that will give you an assurance. And there were two things that started to happen. The first thing that I could not shake was the story of Jesus going up on the hillside, which is what I felt like I did in September, and his disciples coming to him, finding him, and saying, the people in the village want you back. Come back. And he said, actually, we're going this way. So he differentiated himself from the needs or the desires. You see what I'm saying there? And that's a hard thing for me. That's a really difficult emotional thing for me since most of my life has been revolving around some form of caregiving. And so for me to uncouple myself from that took several weeks between me and the Lord. For me to be able to say, actually, I hear the desire. I hear what seems to be a legitimate need for me to come and fully re-engage. But I sense I'm being led this way. So there was that. And the second thing that helped me was actually two weeks ago during worship. It was two days before I submitted my resignation letter. And, um, and I'm having a come-to-Jesus meeting during worship, which, for those of you who don't know what that means to me, that means I'm having an interior, like, experience with Jesus. Like, he's showing me things. Like, I'm having this visionary experience. And I'll just simply put it this way. 
I was sitting on a rock, and the trail split left and right, and I wanted to go to the right, and Jesus wanted me to go to the left, and I was parking it right there on that rock because I didn't want to go where Jesus wanted me to go. Just being honest. It summed up so much of my emotion over several weeks. Then Jesus, in his kindness, turned around, and he came back, and he took my shoes off, and he started to wash my feet. And I said, what are you doing, Jesus? And he says, I'm washing the dust off of your feet from the places you have been. Because you don't need that dust on your feet moving forward. And it just reminded me of when Jesus sent the 72 out. And he says, when you go into a community, find people of peace and be with them. And if you find yourself surrounded by people who don't accept you, then go to the edge of that town, knock the dust off your feet, and keep stepping. Now, this in no way implies that I'm leaving town. (laughs) But what it implies is that there are facets of our community where I experience people of peace, and there are facets of our community where I don't. (laughs) And it was that facet that Jesus was wiping the dust off of my feet and saying, well done, it's time to keep stepping. We're just not going that way. I'm offering this to you as a personal example, real time, of what happened over the last month for me personally that ended up on the headlines of the newspaper here in town. And you have to know that I don't feel like my life is a fleeting vapor in the negative context. I feel like my life just like your life, carries weight. There's a glory of the Lord that he has deposited in each one of us. Our lives matter. And he wants our lives to not be motivated even out of selfish things that don't feel like ambitions, like me being attracted to and staying with the needs. Get what I'm saying? But being released from that so that I can walk in step with him and go where the wind is taking me in this context. You see what I'm saying? Thanks for listening to that, you guys. It's pretty fresh, and I didn't know if I could actually say this where it made sense. So if you have any questions, then I'm all, I'm all about the conversation. Like I decided a couple of weeks ago that I was going to talk to whoever wanted to have a conversation about this. No hesitations at all. And I'll be as um, honest and as honorable as I can, uh, given the, the larger story. But I just wanted to offer that to you, okay? And just like you saw with the, the prayers for the kids, like, my heart is for this city. My heart is for these kids. It has been. It will continue to be as long as the Lord gives me grace for that. And I just want you to know that while I did step away from my functioning role as a school board member, um, I am in no way leaving Uh, my post in that regard of like praying for and advocating for not only students, but even those who care for the students and are working diligently to support our kids. So with that, thanks for listening. I will tell you this. um, This is the reality of my life right now. Newspaper comes out on Wednesday. On Friday, I'm getting phone calls, invitations to be a part of other things.
I'm like, can I please get through the holidays? <laughs> so your, your continued prayers, and we can pray for each other as a community about this, because you guys, I mean, there's a hundred different scenarios getting played out in everybody's lives, right? And we all have this need to walk in step with the Spirit. So the invitation is to go ahead and dream about how to live your fullest life, how to be the best version of yourself, and how to step into opportunities that present themselves. But let me just put the caveat on that. Let's just let the Lord present those to us. And I think that that's where the discernment that I talked about two weeks ago really comes in handy, okay? So let me just wrap it up. I'm just going to pray. Jesus, thank you for um, your breath that fills us, and I want to pray for a fresh infilling of your presence. We just go ahead and just take some deep breaths, and just um, it's more than imagining. Like you are the source. You give us our next breath. Our lives are in your hands, and in that humility, we thank you for the opportunity to dream with you and to imagine life in the future that's full and abundant, that is in step with your spirit. And we thank you that in this context, hitting the mark is walking in that beauty, that intimacy, that sweet spot. And so thank you, God, that you know the plans that you have for us. And we ask, Lord, that in your perfect timing and in your ways, would you continue to communicate your will to us individually and collectively as a community? And I ask, Lord, that you would bless each of my friends here this week with that extra uh, sense of your nearness. Heighten our awareness of how close you are to us. And I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.